Yes, the Ramble Room is back. I'm sitting here right now with uh, Tom Kelly and with Diane, and we wanted to talk a little bit about Civil War. Oh, yes, absolutely. That's um, a topic that it has been coming up increasingly. Uh, it used to be something you would just, you know, you'd run into people sometimes, some guy wearing some crazy hat at a gun show, and, you know, he's getting ready for the next Civil War, or you head down south and you meet people who just never put away their battle flags and they're waiting for the south to rise again and it was something from the fringe groups but now what do we hear now we hear senator cruz from texas actually talking about secession again we have governors increasingly at odds with the federal government and and this isn't just now with um you've got DeSantis. um at odds with the Biden administration. I can't say Joe Biden because he's not really, everybody knows he's not really in control. I mean, they just. Uh, he's, you know, not, he's not in control of a number of things from what we hear. I, I'm not going to go. Ever, ever since that thing came out with, you know, with, with Trump and, and the prostitutes in Russia, I take everything with a grain of salt when you get a rumor like that. But really, you, you could see that they just you bring him out there, they put him in front of the teleprompter, hope he can read it, and then take him away before he has a chance to answer questions. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that we've got governors actively defying the federal government or working against them now. But that also started under the Trump administration. We, we had Newsom out in California. We had mm-hmm. uh, Pritzker in, in Illinois. You, have, you had governors who were working intentionally against the, the whims of the federal government. Now, we could look at that from a state's right states rights point of view and be like, well, that's good. It's supposed to be a federal republic. But what we're seeing is increasing lawlessness. We have federal supremacy. The states are supposed to follow the lead of the federal government but and be in charge of their own things. But what do we have now? We have sanctuary states mm-hmm. that refuse to follow federal immigration law or sanctuary states that refuse to follow federal gun law. And then we have localities within states sanctuary cities who who defy what the state tells them to do um, whether that's on guns or immigration or drugs or something like that the whole um the legality mirage of marijuana which is still illegal in all 50 states due to federal law you have people running around in california and illinois and colorado and most of the states now with what they think is legal marijuana because of the states just outwardly defying federal law well, the same thing is happening in our southern border, obviously. One of the problems, we need to be a nation of law. That's, a, that's the only way you can have a, a free population, a free culture. But when the laws become so numerous that you can do virtually nothing without violating some law somewhere at some level, then law itself becomes devalued. It's inflated, just like the dollar is. We've got so many laws out there that people become desensitized. When I, when I worked in a nursing home, they used to put signs up everywhere, and it got to the point where nobody would ever read the signs because everywhere you looked, there were signs. And it's, to me, it's the same thing. Well, I think it's significant that you said follow something about the whims of the federal government. That's not the same thing as constitutional laws. The, the, do we have to follow every whim of the federal government or... We're wrong? Uh, absolutely not. And that's, okay. that, that goes right into the whole concept of lawlessness. You've got a federal government that says everyone has to get this experimental gene therapy. It's not a vaccine. They've even admitted it. The, the mm-hmm. CEO of, of Pfizer was in an interview and he called it specifically 
gene editing to fix mistakes in genetics and DNA. So all these fact checks out there saying, oh, no, it's, it's a myth that this changes your DNA. The guy who's in charge of it says, yeah, it does. It's, it's gene editing. So anyway, I'm going off on that tangent. They're not <laughs> vaccines. We've got that so-called vaccine mandate with absolutely no law behind it. Now that no, there are no laws, so far I believe there's no actual official executive order either. He just read it off a right. teleprompter. And, and they, they did... They did actually come out with a directive toward OSHA about two days after the Wyoming legislature's special session closed. Immediately, they said, you know, any company that has over 100 employees, and now they're talking about downgrading that. What started this discussion among us this morning was Oklahoma, the state of Oklahoma. Its governor wrote a letter trying to push back against VAX mandates. Then the brand new commandant, this, the Oklahoma Senate hasn't actually made it official yet, came out and said that the Oklahoma National Guard and National Air Guard would not be subjected to a vaccine mandate. And so the question comes up, well, who has, who has the right? There is the federal supremacy concept, which is important in some ways. But I contend, I'm a federalist, and I applaud this pushback against an obtrusive, overstepping federal government. We can sit around and be silent and allow them to continue pushing. We can get into the details of constitutionality about that, about who's in charge of a state's National Guard, the Defense Act saying the president's times of emergency. Every time is a time of emergency. We've been under a state of emergency now for about 50 years. Everything's a, cri- <laughs> yeah. Everything's yeah. a crisis, too. There's an yes. energy crisis, yeah. a climate crisis, a COVID crisis, a healthcare crisis, whatever. There's always a crisis, an obesity crisis. The real crisis is in the fact that the constitutional crisis, that's an actual one. So few people know what it actually says, know what it means. So few people care. We, have, we touch on critical race theory, which says since it was written by white people, it's inherently white supremacist, so we have to get rid of it. A, a good portion of academia in the country believes that the Constitution has to go along with the flag because it's all white supremacy. So I want to look at this more from a practical point of view, what's happening, because ultimately no government stands that the people don't want. Even dictatorships fall when the majority of people say that's enough. We saw that in the Eastern Bloc. But think about how many people in the country right now are cheering on these VAX mandates who want the federal government to bring the hammer down on these states that who, who freedom is now selfish. It's a bad thing. It's chaotic. It's dangerous. Look at all these people that are going to die from COVID because we, they didn't get the experimental injections. So where does it go from there? Well, we already have these states and governors increasingly at odds with the federal government. And like you were saying, Diane, the whole idea of federal overreach. They're pushing back because the federal government is making moves that are outside where their power is supposed to end. Right. And then when the states do that, we don't really get anything in the mainstream media about constitutional issues. They just say, oh, it's constitutional. Shut up. If you, if you, don't, if you don't agree with this, you're a white supremacist or, or something like, or a domestic terrorist or whatever they'd like to call you at that point. So what happens with Oklahoma? You have armed troops being told by their governor, don't worry about that vaccine mandate. You've got the Department of Defense saying, we're going to deal with this appropriately. Right. Quite often when we talk about something like civil war, you, you see something like 
Eric Swalwell come out there and like, Duh, we got nukes. You're not going to be able to do anything. <laughs> or you got the snide people on late night TV. Oh, yeah, sure. You with your hunting rifle, you're going to take on the United States federal government. Um, they always seem to lose sight of the fact that we have so many service members who will tell you, I took an oath to the Constitution to protect it from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And if they see the federal government as becoming the enemy to the Constitution, there's this belief that the American military will blindly follow orders from the federal government, that it won't splinter, mm-hmm. that you won't have generals on certain sides or National Guard saying in Texas and Florida saying, this is not okay. We, This is not what the United States is. We are not going to have a centralized government where everybody has to go to the government for permission to get health care, and you're not allowed to get health care unless you get this injection. And th- th- that's the way... The country's been leaning lately, at least from the current administration that we have there. And this is where I get concerned about the United States being able to stay together. We have financial mobility. And one upside of the COVID pandemic is we really pushed up our our productivity levels of what can be done from home, uh, a cutting overhead of having big office buildings full of people who just kind of look for ways to kill eight hours rather than get their work done. And, and then we start realizing things. Hey, if these people work from home, they can do their four hours of work in four hours and then go on and do something else and maybe get a job in Amazon too. So productivity <laughs> levels have gone up in the United States because of COVID and the ability to telecommute. It's also made finance and employment mobile. I'm living proof of that. I My job is based out of West Virginia and I live in Sheridan, Wyoming because I telecommute and I can live anywhere. So I picked this place to live. I love it here. More and more people are doing that, like me, coming from places like Illinois and saying this place is a hellhole. Mm-hmm. It is sinking in debt and saying taxes. about Illinois. I just Illinois. want to clarify that. <laughs> yeah, coming from Illinois, like I said, yeah. I, I, and where do I fit in better? Well, I fit in better in Colorado, eleven years ago, and then uh, two years ago I realized I didn't fit in there anymore. So here I am in Wyoming. But people can do that. My father just moved from Illinois to Wyoming. So what happens? Wyoming gets redder. Illinois yeah. gets bluer. Yeah. And you increasingly have these states looking at each other and saying, I, I don't want to be in a country with you either. You have a polarization taking effect. I was reading an article today that was pointing that out. And yet, as I read it, I began to think of how polarized things were in the 60s. I was, for my age, was quite well informed. My dad was a redneck cop on the university campus and very active politically. He used to bring things home. And I can remember also, you go clear back to the Federalist Papers and you read the discussion that goes on between them and you hear the stories about politicians in bitter disputes. Those disputes have always existed. What's different now to me is that the federal government has gotten itself involved in everything and there is this idea that not not necessarily incorrect that the federal government has supremacy supremacy but now it has supremacy in everything because it's involved in everything there's a push for a national government with provinces that are subject to the national government versus the federal republic where the states actually created the federal government to do what 
right. they figured should be done that the state should not do. But we, we, most Americans see the United States, which when it was formed meant back in the 1700s, the United Countries of America, because the state was a country, kind of like the European Union, independent countries that were under this banner, that type of thing. Um, until the Civil War, that's when the United States started being seen as like one monolithic country, which it's not. It's so diverse, and it's diverse in a manner, I, I don't mean the politically correct way of diverse, where everybody is like a, a different color and shape, but they all think and say the same thing. That's not diversity. It's diverse in spirit and religion, and, and even the role of the federal government. Getting back to what I said, we have many people in Wyoming, the majority in Wyoming still believe that the state's supposed to call the shots what happens in the state. And you've got the majority of people in some larger states like Illinois and New York and California that the federal, or they often will actually call it a national government now, um, should be in charge of the shots. And, and the states really don't have any yeah. rights. And when you talk about states' rights, what do they do? Well, you're a white supremacist because they claim yeah. states' rights back in the era of segregation. Did you see Biden's latest uh, nominee for the... Yeah, comptroller of currency. Oh, the one who said that the federal government yeah. should just have everyone's bank accounts? Yeah. We're going to dissolve all private banking. Everyone would just have an account at some federal deal. Okay, the people that are pushing these are, are globalists. So where does that lead and what good could possibly come of that? Before we get too far, I just want to remind ourselves, Wyoming Constitution, Article 1, Section 1, talks about all power is inherent in the people and all free governments are founded on their authority instituted for their peace, safety, and happiness. For the advancement of these ends, they have at all times an inalienable and an indefeasible right to alter, reform, or abolish the government in such a manner as they may think proper. So here's the battle. I want to see it go back under a federalist system, a separation of concentrated central power, allow the states to do what they do, and allow the federal government to have very narrow... I realize that's that's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I don't see how that could even be feasible anymore. When you have these uh, states that want Marxist-style health care systems, which are money losers, and they'll constantly be going to the federal government, and then you'll have the, con the states that still have vibrant economies like Texas and Florida funding the so-called free health care in Illinois where it's full of illegal immigrants because they're told the border's wide open. You can get to Illinois. The state's a sanctuary state. You get free everything. Um, how long are the people of Florida and Texas going to be like, why are we paying to fund all this free stuff in other states? That's already going on right now. Now, I know you'll get something like in the New York Times or CNN. They come out with some BS analysis because, oh, look, the red states get more money from the federal government than the blue states do. And, and I've torn that apart so many times. Sure. It doesn't matter. That's that's one of the biggest myths out there right now, that the red states live off the federal government. Well, we've had our own legislators in Cheyenne say that the people of Wyoming are freeloaders. They, they have come out and said, call this freeloaders because we're just used to living off of mineral revenues and things that we don't earn. And all of this goes back. If I look at, if I look at the problem that we we're kind of focusing on which is the military one of the problems with the military today is it is used for everything except what it really should be used for defending the country yeah right. there are there are all these little police actions there are all sorts of social cultural experimentation going on within the ranks this is not what that federal 
military is for. It is for, we have an imminent danger, not just an emergency like somebody got a cold, and we need to marshal the troops. These troops can work together as cooperative units, one from Wyoming, for example, one from Oklahoma, one from New Mexico, take on the different missions. Now, this is going to sound a little bit maybe naive, but understand I got 10 years in the military. Most military missions are not that complex. There is a need for uniform teaching across them so that any unit can cohesively work with another. But it's not that complicated. If we weren't sending out the United States Army, the United States Marine Corps, on every little police action, on every little thing that comes up, on every little experiment, but simply reserved them for what they were supposed to do, it would be much smaller and much more capable of being controlled by 50 different governors, who then, when it was necessary, worked in concert together to dispel the enemy. Not to mention they could save $300 billion a year just by not policing the whole world. Sure. Okay, we agreed on that one. <laughs> I, I guess that, that's Would one you want us to fight her, Ken? No. no that's, in, in my perfect world, I would say, okay, we're just going to draw a line, and we're going we're gonna to take Washington, Oregon, California, and you can just go slide off into wherever. And Join you can, Canada. Yeah, you go have your own little whatever it is you want to have. Leave us out of it, thank you. Um, same thing over on the, a few of the eastern seaboard states. You know, you have your own little communist country and and that's fine and the rest of us are going to go about the business of living really living and if you don't want to live in those communist states you should move now (laughs) well the gates are still open and in california we'd have to build several walls not just all on that you know we'd have to build them around the metropolis areas (laughs) there's been a meme out there it's a joke you've got the united states of canada and then jesus land to the south and let's, let's take the, um, the religious aspect out of that. And if you look at the map of the United States of Canada and Jesus land, it's not a bad idea because you would have our most left-wing states, the ones that want abortion on demand, the ones that want to ban guns, the ones that want government health care could join Canada where they already have abortion on demand and health care for all and they've mm-hmm. banned guns. They could live wonderfully as part of Canada. It would be the Northeast you know, the states that all voted for Gore and Clinton and John Kerry and Biden. So you'd have the left coast and and the northeast, and then you'd have the central plains in the south. That might actually be the future of the country 20 years from now or less. It may end up looking like that, but and not necessarily through a violent means. We, We were starting this conversation by talking about some practical means. Right. Practical means begin with someone raising their hand and saying, hey, this is wrong. So I applaud the state of Oklahoma, for the governor, the National Guard, for standing up and saying, this is wrong, we're not going to play this game. That starts the conversation, and it has to happen. Because if we don't, then we go through what we've gone through for the last hundred years, ever since Abraham Lincoln sliding more and more and more into one supreme federal government and state governments are nothing more than ways to spend federal monies. Just the appendages of, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and they have less in control of their own healthcare systems, less control of their own school systems. A lot of times when the whole idea of, of a, it's called the national divorce, not a civil war, mm-hmm. because not every divorce is ugly. 
There are amicable divorces where people look at each other and say, I, I don't want to be married to you anymore either. Okay, let's you take this, you take that, I'll go here, we'll do that, good, you know, and, and fantastic, and we never have to see each other again. That uh, The Soviet Union broke up like that. Czechoslovakia broke up like that. The British Empire, after they uh, finally lost the war against France and the United States, peaceably broke up. And, and no massive country has ever lasted forever. Now, to, to speak of the United States ending or breaking up is blasphemy for so many people, particularly among really patriotic people. But when we're talking about the practical matters of it, it is becoming increasingly impractical for Texas and California to be in the same country. Part of the the blasphemy of talking about breaking up the United States is not that each, to me, that each of the 50 states is sacred and, and the shape of it and, how, and that we have 50 and all that kind of stuff. It's the constitutional aspect. That's what I don't want to lose is the principles that we were founded on, not that if California fell off into the ocean, that, that then we wouldn't be the United States anymore. We're not the United States anymore when we don't follow the Constitution. And that's the, that's the bad part. It's not about how whether there's an even 50 or whatever. Exactly. And there we go. And the whole idea the United States can endure, everybody says, what about the stars and stripes? Well, the flag with 50 stars has not been the history of the country. Everybody knows that. You're now a white supremacist if you have a Betsy Ross flag like I do in my garage. Oh, no, 13 states. He must like slavery. It's, you can't even have a discussion with people like that. You mean anymore. the one Washington commissioned? How dare you? Well, Washington was a white supremacist. And so <laughs> oh, was right, Jefferson. I know. I know. And we got to take down owner, the yep. statues of all them. So, I know. And that's a great, it would be fantastic if a so-called Jesus land would just keep the United States Constitution. And you can go ahead and have these other states that say we need to rewrite the Constitution. We need to put into the Constitution essentially Marxist elements, a right to health care, a right to yeah. a home, a right to a job. That's Marxism. Let, let them try it. How much of the state of Oregon, and for that matter, how much of the state, I'm talking geographically, of, of California would end up being in what you're calling Jesus land? Uh, yeah, I, you know, that's something, too. Sometimes I, we've just been speaking about the states monolithically. Yeah, um, but you know, even Wyoming, California's metastasized out to uh, we'll Teton give County. Hole. Or, yeah, it, right, exactly. And you've got uh, the entire two thirds of the eastern two thirds of the state of Washington is Trump territory, and you just you have Seattle, which dominates the voting. Even the state of Colorado, which is is gone true blue, people still try to call it purple. No way. Yeah, uh, and it's fifty five. But it's just 45. the front range. It, it is Fort Collins down through Denver. And Pueblo, the, even. Yeah, well, yeah. Even Pueblo. But, but even still, when you, they, they pass something like their, their magazine ban, you can go in a gun shop anywhere outside of Boulder and Denver and still buy 30-round magazines, 60-round sure. drums, because now they just call them uh, magazine and drum repair kits, pre-assembled. <laughs> <laughs> How do you take Jackson Hole and give it to California while taking Douglas County in Oregon and bringing it over to get some whatever brand the closest... New- Party. 777 jumbo jets and we marched them in link tracks link tracks get on <laughs> yeah, the plane see, but yeah, the, the whole thing about moving vast populations no you'd have to have the freedoms of people go wherever they wanted to yeah and if the people of teton county did no longer wanted to be part of a right-wing white supremacist you know in parentheses free country um 
They'd be free to emigrate to the yep. socialist states of America. Well, right, but do they have to leave, or do we just make like corridors crossing so that you connect them? Tunnels. Because that's where the problem comes in. Is okay, I'm free to leave, but I don't want to leave. I want you to leave. Right. Well, when we think about like the United States seceding from Britain, there were a good number of people who wanted to remain part of Britain, but the entire United States seceded. They were free to go back to Britain if they wanted to or, right. or live under the new system. Uh, if somebody lives in a state like California and they say they live on the inner empire, they live in the red territory of California and California becomes an outright Marxist country. Provided they don't put up machine gun nests to keep people in, it, like you know, communist countries, they probably would have it. to. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, but you know, that people should be then free to go. The whole idea of trying to make a patchwork of patchwork of, of a contiguous country, when our country isn't so much split up by states as much as it's split up of massive urban areas, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the country. There's a, I mentioned earlier an article by Brian Michael Jenkins. And I want to read you a couple of quotes from there in in line with your great divorce concept. First thing he says is, irreconcilable differences on social issues reinforce the political divide. Duh. Differences over racial injustice, abortion, gun control, immigration, and LGBTQ rights increasingly determine whom one is willing to associate with reinforcing self-segregation along political lines as we group with like-minded friends and partners. He goes on and talks about how you don't have PTA groups that involve the entire city anymore. You don't have bowling leagues. You know, they're all dying out. But he suggests that militias have taken off in mushrooms, and he says there's 100,000 members, and I I think that is an over-exaggeration. How many people were in bowling leagues back in the 1960s and 70s versus the 100,000 people that you might be able to round up and call militia members? Well, I objected to him sort of equating those like all the, he says, people don't go to church anymore. People don't go to PTA meetings and all those things. He's making it sound like they all went over to the militia instead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. He's, he's, he's equating it a mass migration. One last thing here. I, th- I think about how am I ever going to go along and get along with people like AOC, with people like Nancy Pelosi. There are, there are two different worldviews. One says America's story is one of a moral crusade dedicated to defending the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we should be proud of that. The other says it is a story of territorial expansion, slaughter, slavery, and imperialism of which we should be ashamed. I happen to be one of the former. I have no common ground with someone who espouses the latter. I just don't. And, and somebody who's been an educator of history and government, that type of thing, we get in the ideas of teaching critical race theory. We're, we're lied to, and they say it's it's just about teaching history. Oh, no, it isn't. It's about teaching that America and white people are always wrong and for blame for everything. That's That's what it really is. But at the same time, you have to be able to acknowledge that the United States... And Europe, the, the, the European domination of the world, there were horrific atrocities. We can't pretend like they didn't happen. We can't pretend like slavery was not the monstrosity that it was and all the evils it was that global. happened. Under, yeah, well, no matter who we blame for it, we, we have to acknowledge that 
these things happen. And when people try and say today, it's like, well, we, you know, did we have to talk about the uh, existing legacy of slavery? Well, that, that, t- Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams debunked that decades ago. Yeah. There was a whole idea that what, what we're seeing now is the lasting uh, legacy of continued coercive government policies. I don't understand why people are just so afraid of freedom. Because with it comes responsibility, and we don't want to be responsible. Segregation was government policy. Slavery was government policy. Mm -hmm. Frederick Douglass just said, you know, don't do anything for us. Just leave us alone and let us be free people. How many issues in the United States, how many racial issues would have been healed if people would have just heeded the words of Frederick Douglass, allowed former slaves to just become citizens like everybody else, um... There, sure, anti-discrimination laws. You can't discriminate against somebody based on skin color. That that that's fine, but now we've got these ideas that after we have decades of a federal government paying uh, people in inner cities not to get married, and and rounding people up in these horrific public schools where they come out and they're functionally illiterate, and then they have to go into the workforce, and then we say, well, this is a legacy of slavery. No, this is just a legacy of really bad government policy. It's, it's a legacy of humanity. Well, when and when when the segregation thing was going on, I was young and wasn't paying any attention and maybe not even live when it started. But um, in the cities like New York, where you have your Italian community and your Chinese community and your Jewish population all grouping themselves together because they share culture. Did the government go in there and say they couldn't do that anymore? They've tried that in Illinois. They've they've, they've looked at like Chicago because it's got you know it's got the Ukrainian village and it's got Greek town and Chinatown. And they said, well, we are the most segregated city, and they want the government to come in and force people to live together who didn't want to, mm-hmm. which is just as bad as forcing people yeah. to be apart who don't want to be apart. Right. Part of the fallacy of of Brian Jenkins' article, the first thing that I read, irreconcilable differences, and they probably are because they deal with deeply held worldviews. On social issues, reinforce the political divide. He's trying to say, I think, that it's gotten worse, that it's gotten more acute. And I don't agree with that. I, I, I agree. Think, I think it's always been there. It's always been an issue. It's always going to be an issue. And the only place in all of mankind's history where it was less of a problem than it is, is here. They're doing everything they can to make it a problem again and make it worse. So I've got to disagree based on the technology. The Internet has allowed people. We had these bowling groups and church groups and the PTA. People who lived in the same community had to learn to get along with each other. But now we have people just withdraw from the people who live next door to them, and they go into their online communities, and mm-hmm. they go into their echo chambers. And, and that's what's different about today. I think, And that's why you have these people who have these radically different worldviews. How many people go out and still parrot the words pandemic of the unvaccinated, even though it's, it's just mathematically and scientifically false, mm-hmm. as you've got like everybody in the intensive care unit in Antwerp, Belgium is fully vaccinated, and you have most people who are dying right now are fully vaccinated around the world, but you still hear this whole thing, oh, Delta's spreading, and, and people go into their online communities and they go into their favorite splintered media news outlets and they go into their echo chambers. Um, and, and then you see that kind of stuff on the right, too. People are absolutely yeah. convinced that but, the whole pandemic has been orchestrated by Bill Gates. But oh, what I'm saying out. is it's always been that way. Fifty years ago, it was the local tavern. 
the Irish went to their little pub, the other people with another view went to their little pub, wherever. And I guess what I'm trying to say is this is a human problem. But they didn't network with. with Irish pubs in other cities. Right, and that's, <laughs> I think you're both right because I think the problem has always been there. The opportunity... It's been exacerbated by what, technology. Right, because now we have that opportunity to do that and to make it worse. Yeah, so I will concede I, that as long as I'm <laughs> at least partially right. I'm okay with that. But, <laughs> but, but neither one of us have to be right or wrong here. We're right. talking, we're talking right. about issues that for some reason people think... I mean, how many things have we brought up today? where somebody is going to be deeply, deeply offended. How dare you even bring up that topic? And it's, it's, uh, and it's gotten to the point where people refuse to even talk about these issues anymore. I mean, somebody look at this, like, look at these crazy radicals talking about civil war and stuff like that and talking about the good old days of segregation, which, of course, never came up in the conversation, but somebody would listen to us and somehow come up with that. <laughs> I, I want to get back to this practicality. What do we do practically? And from my perspective in looking in this and thinking about this, I want to become more involved in local and state governments, more in a position to be able to advance pushback against federal overreach. Because any consolidation of power, it goes back to that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so the smaller the government, the better. The more broken up it is among the states, where the states can each be their own little, we, it sounds almost trite to say, their own little laboratories. Laboratory where, of democracy. Yeah, where we see what happens. That's what I want us to get back to practically. And if that means a divorce, and somehow we begin to section off the country and, and people will migrate by whatever means is necessary, um, I'm for it. Because I'm tired of... I'm going to sound really awful here. Carry on. I'm tired of going along to get along with people who espouse all these ideals that I am adamantly opposed to. A one world government, abortion on demand, absolute power of a central government, etc., etc. The far left has even brought back segregation. They oh, call yeah. they call different names now, and they have separate graduation ceremonies and separate sure. spaces for people of color. It's just you go to, I'm like, are you, you kidding go to me? college now, and the university is is having sixteen different graduation this, ceremonies. That was a clan member's dream, really. Yeah. You, they all go off to their own area. Yeah, like, sure, they're on board with that. It's it's absolutely horrible. But and this is within our lifetime that they could go from the the early civil rights movement with segregation is bad to the new segregation is good and people go oh yeah yeah that makes it, sense. It, right because you have these so-called experts and eggheads from the ivory towers and they have these so-called uh studies that prove that with their right and, and these these crazy ideas what i would really like is just from the general perspective of people being able to talk to one another again without categorically and summarily dis dismissing people because they disagree and have a different worldview. You can't talk about anything, but m my bias is that the far left wants to censor because they know they're wrong. They don't have reality and facts on their side. This whole idea, yeah. socialism will work this time, segregation will work yeah. this time. Historically, it shows that when you group people by race, when you break, when you have a centralized government take over, it's a violent disaster in the end of, of just poverty and misery. Um, so when you have people from the right now coming up about speaking about freedom, 
get shouted down as being white supremacists or bigots or shills for corporations or whatever insult they have. We have mainstream America. We have suburban America around the big cities have a lot of bought into, like you were saying, these so-called scholarly arguments that like, you know, you just, you don't understand how important the impact of these social factors are. And that's why you say what you do. You don't know any better. So, uh, so they either talk down to you like you're an idiot who doesn't know any better, uh, which I love that because it, 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 for me, it's just like, oh, oh, please, I would love to have this discussion where other people can hear a different side of the issue because I have quite often had people, even people I know who are very much Democrats, who didn't want to admit what's happened to the Democratic Party in the last 10 years, having gone from the Liberal Party to the Socialist Party. Um, I can have conversations with people like that who disagree with me on specific issues. Uh, but how many people are afraid to go in the public sphere and speak about stuff now because they're going to be labeled, the left is going to label them? And, oh, and by the way, if, if you mention cancel culture, you're a conspiracy theorist because cancel culture doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> and that didn't take very long. It, it hasn't been very long that people started talking about cancel culture and it was real. What has it been, two years or something that we've gone from this is a new thing to this is not a thing? That's And that's part of what I was getting at with my last comment is that our memory is just gone. We can't, wait, 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 segregation was bad when I was a child and now it's good. I already forgot everything that happened in between. Well, not to mention the whole idea of judging people based on their skin color in the days yeah. of Martin Luther King Jr. was a bad thing. Now you now we get, have critical race theory. That's the only thing you judge people by. Now you're yep. going to get paid big sums of money in the in the interests of fairness simply because of your skin color. Well, and that's I, part of the problem that I was thinking of uh, just a second ago was that the, one of the reasons they get so angry is because that freedom and fairness don't go together. And this right. is what we're pushing for is we want everything to be fair. Well, it's never going to be, but freedom, it, it's never going to be when you're free either because people are going to do better, some people are going to do worse, and, and if you can you do asked. what you want, you're going to be lazy. Well, Thomas Sowell used to call it the quest for cosmic justice. You were never going to reach it. You were just going to become increasingly yeah. totalitarian trying to force equality on people. You, you asked earlier, Tom, you said, why is it these people are afraid of freedom? Why are they afraid of liberty? I believe it's because you can't have it without individual responsibility. And that's what they're afraid of. They want to be able to have all the benefits, but they don't want to have any responsibilities. They don't want to have to pay any price. Many people have bought into two lies. Number one, the government can take care of you and protect you. Right. The false, other one they've false <laughs> sense of security there. The other one they've bought into is that if the government doesn't do something, then it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Now, as somebody who's had a child with cancer and had a wife with cancer, um, it was private corporations that paid my bills whether it was my job giving me money for doing my job or it was the insurance company picking up 80%, 90% of the tab after we had hit our maximum limit and whatever I couldn't make up between working five jobs and the insurance and my pay, private charities and churches stepped in. Mm -hmm. What I got from the government was a note from the IRS saying, you made too much money this year. You underpaid your income taxes by $2,000. Yeah. And then, of course, then I hear people say, well, shouldn't the government have come in and paid those bills? I'm like, you know, 
I'm not going to listen to you because you're the same jerk who didn't give my family a single cent. All you did was go on, See, you went on you're... Facebook and you ranted about how the government should take care of other people. And all you're doing is trying to assuage your guilt because you do nothing. So you Now wanna... you're making my point. The older I get, the less tolerance I have for absolute stupidity and the less I want to talk to people about certain things. I don't even call it stupidity. It's <laughs> selfishness. When they say like yeah. people who want to be free are selfish, no, the people who want government to do everything are selfish because they won't do it themselves. Yes, that's my point. That's my point. Some of this is just plain ignorance too. And it has and it's so intertwined with a whole bunch of things, but the education system hundred and fifty years ago, not fifty years ago, saying, Let us take care of this. We don't want any local control because we want everybody to get the same education. Oh yeah, that sounds really good. And if you don't agree with us, it's because you don't like children. Yeah. Um they still use that argument. Oh, yes. Yeah. But then like you were talking about uh, the government being able to answer all the questions. If, like looking back, this is going to be a long story. When I was a kid, I remember reading a story, just a kid's biography about Jane Adams, and going, "Wow, she was really amazing. She was crippled, and she made something of herself, and then she wanted to help people." And so, um, about ten years ago, my sisters and I went on a trip to Chicago, and we went to the Hull House where she did this thing. And I'm going, "Wait a minute, she went out and got the government to do all the things that." private people had been doing before that where churches took care of charity and old people sick people uh private corporations build hospitals and things like that she's one of the ones who went to president roosevelt and said there ought to be a law the government should be taking care of these people and everybody went yeah yeah they should so it's been that long since people have started started saying the government should take care of this because they have more money and and we could just take from people a certain amount tax the rich they yes. must pay their fair share and, and, that's right and, and how much we care about something is, is determined how much money we're willing to give to the government how much power and authority we're willing to give up to the government over it if you don't want to give up your uh, your money and your rights over what the public schools teach then you're anti-teacher and anti-education and anti-children um if you don't want the federal government to take over the health care system well you you're you're against health care uh, but but what's really happening there is that it's selfishness on the part of the people who want to give it to the government so that they don't have to think about it i'll just hand you my taxes that come out in ways that i don't even notice with gas tax and food tax and property tax and all those kinds of things and then i don't even have to think about these people who need my money because the government will hand it to them in giant chunks instead of somebody coming around to my door and asking me for money to help the family who's got two people with cancer and then of course you get a, a, a huge load of people who then know the system they know how to play the system and how many millions of people do we have living in america right now there's nothing wrong with them. There's no reason they can't get a job. But th they're on some reason they take advantage of a disability program, which is for people who are actually have permanent disabilities. Like they my just son got the government paying them because they got a bunch of kids and they can't afford to go to work. Uh, yeah. Or you've got, like my son has Down syndrome, so he automatically qualifies for disabilities his entire life. But I'm going to bring him up to get a job and try and take care of himself anyway because sure. he'd have a happier life and just in general being more independent like that. But then we look into the the minutia and you look in the details and you find out that people can get federal disability payments if they suffer from clinical depression people say okay that's okay 
they can get it if they suffer from clinical depression due to substance addiction. So now we literally have people getting paid to stay home and get drunk and high mm-hmm. because they go on disability because they're depressed or they're addicted and the government now pays people to stay home and get drunk. That happens. And you say that and people, you get gaslit. Yeah. And, and, oh, yeah. no, that doesn't happen. Oh, no, maybe, maybe some people, but hardly anybody. And that's not true at all. Billions are wasted every year. And it's just so much better. I like just give money directly to people. Family comes to me and says, my kid has bone cancer. And I'm like, okay, what do you need? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't go to work. Here, here's your grocery bill for the next two months. Yeah. I, but I don't know anybody, and I don't care how many toes I step on this. I don't know any leftist who does that. They all just say mm-hmm. the government should, and they won't ever reach in their own pocket. Yeah. Just making the point that Diane was making was, that, and I've made the same point about every Christian as an individual has a responsibility. You do this, some of the things that you're talking about, but one of the things we do in churches. Because we don't want to be evangelists. We don't want to be preachers and teachers. So we hire one guy to go do all of that. And if somebody says, feels a compulsion that maybe I need to go over and, and help these people out. No, I don't have to do that. We pay him to do that. Call up the preacher say, you need to get your tail over there and take care of so-and-so. That's what we pay you for. And I've literally heard that sort of thing happen. That's just a microcosm of what we're saying to the federal government. We pay you to do this so we don't have to. And so the only solution, and it's not really a solution, the only uh, way to balance this again is for people to start doing that again, taking that back and saying Mm -hmm. the church should be taking care of their sick people. Maybe the church should, every church should have a school or whatever it is that we need to have taken care of. We can't just say, pull your kids out of government schools. We have to say, and we will give you options. We will help you with options. We will teach you or whatever it is. And that's just my thing. It could be any of the things we're talking about. Which brings us right back to where we started. Half the country doesn't want that. Half the country wants yep. more money and responsibility going into the public schools. And half the country wants to be able to take the lead with their own children. So how does a country stay together as we increasingly separate by political beliefs into different states? And it is so polarized where you have half the country marching towards the idea of basic universal income. The government will pay you to breathe. And then we have other people saying we need to roll back taxes and make people responsible for themselves again. Great. The country splits up over that and half the states are like, you live free here, but you have to take care of yourself and each other. And we have the other states, the other states say we are now, you know, the United States socialist states of america and the government will take care of everything great just as long as i don't have to pay into that system or live there how long will it be before they run out of money and the people that are starving or crashing the borders trying to steal from us well this is what i was going to the un saying you know this is why we need a global tax and we need universal health care for the whole world why we need to get rid of private banking and everybody will just have a federal account well that's what i was going to ask is let's say that you had both coasts who decided to just go full on socialist, and then the, the center of the country just doesn't do that. How long before they're squeaking over our borders and stealing from us because they don't no. have any more money? Look at East and West <laughs> Germany right? post-World War II. They had to put walls up and yeah. kill people for trying to get out. I, I, I'm not going to claim ignorance here. I know that if the states of Illinois and New York and California got what the people were demanding there, it would be a very short order before yeah. it imploded. It'd be a matter it of months. It always implodes. What was, what was the little 
community that they formed uh, during the the summer, where they well, the called com- the communes. Yeah, they called themselves an autonomous little thing, and of course. Oh, you mean recently? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Chaz? Yeah, the, Chaz. The, that's the, what I was the, trying to think the of. The autonomous zone? Yeah, look how long that lasted and what a disaster it was and all the horrible things that happened. Murder and rape yeah. and, yeah, and I, racism. I guess from a practical standpoint, I'd like to set up an experiment and say, here, here's this chunk of ground. Everybody wants to live this way. You go live that way. Leave us alone. We'll live our way. And we'll see you in a couple months. But that was the original concept of the United States. Precisely. Right. Let's huh. get back to the beginning. <laughs> 